Hi, welcome to the Mama Advocate Podcast. This is a safe place for adoptive and special needs mamas to feel less alone and find community amidst their unconventional journeys. Here, you're going to find authentic conversations for me and my guest who are parenting fully in the weeds with you. Our goal is to empower and encourage you to be the best mama you can be as you advocate for your people. Guys, I am so honored to have Jira back with us. I feel like he's our go-to guru, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, Today, he's going to be talking all about metacognition. And every time I listen to him, I learn so much. And so I'm I'm glad that you're here and that you get to learn along with me. Jared, start us out, because I have no idea what I need to know about metacognition. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Always enjoy the opportunity to chat with people about these topics that are so foundational, but most of the time you don't, you've never heard of them or got training on them. When I went through my doctorate degree, this is a topic didn't really come up either. It's just not taught a a lot about in school. And I don't know why, because once you understand this topic, you realize how foundational it is to human communication and learning and decision-making and problem-solving. So if you are raising a child, adoptive, birth child, foster care, whatever it is, and if that child has a special needs, it could be FASD, it could be autism, ADHD, extensive trauma histories, attachment issues, not 100% of the time, but a a good percent of these situations, that child may be dealing with some metacognition deficits. And when someone deals with metacognition impairments, that can impact complex problem solving. So as that person gets older, they may really struggle with solving problems. As that child gets into a K through 12 setting, they might have a really difficult time with making sense of learning in all of these things. Metacognition plays a role in all of these things. So at the heart of this, metacognition is thinking about thinking and knowing about knowing. It is. It relates to self-awareness. It relates to our ability to reflect back on how our day went. What could we do different tomorrow? If you have a child and you're teaching that child skills and they just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, And as that child gets older, they have a hard time like looking back and saying, you know, I made that same mistake a thousand times now. Maybe I should change course of action going forward. That's rooted in a metacognition deficit. Metacognition, when it's working properly, people have better self-control. They typically have better self-awareness and they have better social skills. When someone has metacognition deficits, they oftentimes have lower self-control so they can be more impatient and impulsive and erratic in their behavior. And it could link to lack of self-awareness. So sometimes people may overestimate their abilities and that could be a a situation where it could result in the person getting hurt because if they think they have these abilities, maybe that they're a great sports player. That's one example they may overestimate that and get hurt. So, I mean, it can play on all kinds of ways. If you have ever worked with someone, you have a child that has profound social skill deficits. They struggle with stranger danger. They struggle with knowing how to talk to an adult 
differently than a child or they don't know how to end a conversation or begin a conversation. They just say really inappropriate things that rub people the wrong way. There's a lot more to the story than metacognition, but I can guarantee you, if you understand this topic, you're going to be in a much better position to help that individual. Other things to consider when we're talking about metacognition, insight, reasoning, decision-making are all used interchangeably with this. So again, you know the work I do with FASD. Most people with FASD are going to have insight deficits, problem-solving deficits, decision-making. Those are all metacognition deficits. So we all see it. But now if you can understand this term metacognition, you'll be able to hopefully maybe do some tweaks, maybe consider the approach you're doing with parenting. And if you can look through a metacognition lens, better things can happen. Finding a therapist who understands this topic can make a huge, huge difference. And a lot of times when you study metacognition, it's it's used interchangeably with executive function. So we talked about executive function before. So right here is executive function. That's the CEO of the brain. So we got, that's the boss of the brain. Metacognition is above that. Metacognition is the owner of the company. The CEO who may not own the company, but runs the company is executive function. So technically, metacognition might be the top dog in the brain that really guides human behavior and how we successfully interact and react to things and just carry out day-to-day tasks in a healthy manner. A lot of times are really driven by those metacognition skills. So it can be confusing at first when you're learning about metacognition, but think of it as a higher order cognitive process. It's a higher order thinking skill. So going deep into our thoughts to try to figure out why did we do that or what can we do next time or just how we can plan more effectively. Metacognition is also related to how we use prior knowledge that maybe we've learned in school or from mom or dad and then apply it to future situations to solve a problem. Unfortunately, we know that kids with like a neurodevelopmental disorder can really struggle with taking what they've learned in one setting and apply it to the other. That's a generalization deficit is what that's called. And you you may see this all the time where you teach the skill to your child or teenager, or they go to a therapist and they show you that they know exactly what you're talking about. The minute they leave the house, they make the same mistake. That is a generalization deficit where they learned it in one setting in the house, but now they go on the playground, take the bus to school or in the classroom. It's a, they take, it's a really hard time taking what they've learned in one setting and applying it to the other. Metacognition is all related to that. We could go on and on about that, but I'll, I'll stop for a second, Laura, see if you have any thoughts on that, or if you've ever seen this in any of your children, I'm just curious. I mean, all the time, like everything you just said, I'm like, I feel like that's the majority of my children, um, just with autism and FASD. And I, I'm like ADD and I'm curious, like when you said overestimating their abilities, that would also apply to underestimating their abilities. Right. So I'm have like many instances in my head of one of my boys like wrestling with or hurting 
another kid. And he's like, it didn't hurt. It didn't like, whatever. But I'm like, you don't understand how you're doing that. Right. So that would be kind of the same idea. Overestimate, underestimate. Absolutely. Not learning from mistakes. Absolutely. All related to this. And then I have, okay. I have so many questions. You said tweaking. My thought is like often when I, because I've like a lot of our therapists have worked on things like with the kid recalling what she did in her day. I just kind of gave away my child because there's only one girl, but we asked Hannah what she did today. She could not tell you a single thing at all that what she did today. And so the, the teacher or the therapist might talk about some things that they know that they did that day. And then she'll, oh yeah. And she'll kind of say those things. Right. But if it's in a, if that therapist or teacher is not there, she couldn't tell me anything. So like making better choices and like even digesting that topic. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. yeah so if I'm trying to like have a conversation with her to digest this topic, to figure out what we could do different next time, if a teacher told me she doesn't remember at all, how do yeah. you, how do you kind of pull that out and try to start making those tweaks and try to start training? And is there a better way to help train their brains to think about things? Well, I think it's important to first maybe figure out what's causing that. And sometimes you can dig as deep as possible and you never find out the true reasons, but getting a neuropsychological test in some cases can be very helpful. It could be a working memory deficit. It could be a shorter long-term memory problem. It could be a processing speed weakness. It could be a sensory issue could be executive function impairment. It could be all of the above, or it could be none of those. Is it sleep deprivation? Is it blood sugar dysregulation? I mean, all kinds of things. And for some of these kids, again, too, don't always rely on how old they are on paper. It's their emotional and developmental age that means the most. So tweaks, get a neuropsychological test if, if appropriate. Writing things down making things visual, having an external brain. You'll hear that in this literature, like an external coach or a mentor that someone that can help make sense of what they just heard. Because for some of these kids, like sitting in a classroom, if the teacher doesn't understand these things, the teacher isn't doing anything wrong intentionally. They're giving a good verbal lecture. Most of the kids in there are taking it in, writing notes. But for some kid that maybe has some of these deficits, what they hear, it goes into their brain. It gets all jumbled up. They can't make sense of it. Maybe the teacher's talking really fast and their brain becomes overloaded and then their brain just shuts down. Sometimes when that happens, that, that sensory overload. Or, so like when, when a teacher is verbally giving an instruction in a classroom, some of these kids may have information overload. So it's the traffic jam in the brain or bottleneck and it just piles up and up. And some of these kids need a lot of extra time to digest that, let their brain make sense of it. And a lot of times teachers may not understand this topic, had training in it. Some cases that child may just shut down and almost look like they're falling asleep or they become very agitated, restless, and they could become disruptive or run out of a classroom. Those are a few things that could be going on here, but every situation's different. And another thing, like if a child is sitting in a classroom 
and their brain is dealing with these things. Think about all the side commotion. Are kids talking over here? Are there kids over here talking? Are people up and getting going to the bathroom, the doors slamming? Maybe there's bright lights in there and all kinds of colors on the wall. For a child with a neurodevelopmental disorder or special needs, that is overwhelming. So look at the whole surrounding of the classroom or wherever you're at. Clutter can overwhelm the brain too. Bright lights, cologne, perfume has been known to impact all of these things as well. So there's a lot of layers to this, but those are a few variables that pop in my mind just to consider that could be a play here. I mean, that feels kind of like my life. I get real distracted by everything. Everyone's talking to me at once and it's like, yeah. I just shut down and I don't process yeah. any of it. Hey, let's take a quick break. Mama, I know that you are doing a great job, but maybe there's something you've been neglecting, like yourself or your marriage, the rest of your family or the systems in your home. Or maybe you're just ready for a change, but you don't know where to start. That's where we come in. Mama Systems can help you put systems in place so that your family is more organized, more peaceful, and more balanced. And so that you feel like you can get everything done that you need to get done during the day. We'll help make sure that you have a plan to advocate for your child in school and in the community, that you take care of yourself, your marriage, and the rest of your family, and that you have systems in place to help build teamwork mentality in your home and make daily life more manageable. All of this is doable, and you deserve it, Mama. Check out mamasystems.net today. All right, back to our show. Um, how would you, like, I'm thinking about a therapist, and we've tried therapy so many times with my little buddies, and I don't know if it's, like, part of me is just kind of giving up on it because they're, it seems like they're incapable of, I don't know how this is coming out, but here we go. It sounds like they're, in, they're kind of incapable of processing what's going on or what happened or situations, or they're just trying to say, it's kind of more like a confabulation situation where they're, you know, everything's great and we're telling them what they want to hear. And I'm like, no, but we have this issue that we're working on. And the therapist's like, no, he's great. I'm like, no, we're not great. And I don't like how, is that something where it's like, okay, we're not there yet. Let's try again in a year or two, or we need to find one of these therapists that knows about metacognition. Well, it's tough to know, but having a therapist who knows these things can probably help because if a therapist doesn't understand these things, again, some of these kids are really good about masking their deficits and saying, again, what they need to say to a professional. A lot of times they have good receptive language or expressive language. So they say a lot of things that make them sound very competent. So to the outside professional who doesn't get this, what are you talking about? Why are you sending this child to me or teenager? They're they're fully fine. You have to fact check. You have to verify. You got to stay in contact with caregivers. You have to also really determine how that person functions outside of a controlled setting. Because when this child or teenager comes to an office, that's very structured, very scripted. And again, that can also mask deficits. If the true test is how that person functions without being reminded they need to come at this time, the session's over at this time, looking at how they function in the home and in the school, on the playground, on the bus is very important. So if possible, 
therapists should try to collect that data and interview teachers or get collateral sources of information, talk to the caregivers and have appropriate releases signed, of course, as well. I have yet to have a therapist try to do any of that. Um, how do you find a therapist like that? Do you have like a, a list of metacognition therapists? That you're like, these are amazing. No, I so wish. There's no. nothing more frustrating than feeling like I'm at the end of my rope and you're bringing a kid in and they're like, it's fine. You have nothing to worry about. And you're like, no, no, I think we're all going to die. And I don't know. Like as a mom, that's the most frustrating thing in the world. It is very frustrating. I get emails all the time from folks literally all over the world asking similar questions. Do you know, I live in this state or do you know anybody? What I always say is, you know, if you can find someone that maybe understands autism, ADHD, traumatic brain injuries, trauma and attachment, that's a good start. A lot of these folks don't have a clue about FASD. I've, I've, there are some, but finding someone too, who just has a curiosity-based mindset is open to learning and collaborating is a very good starting point. And, you know, some of these kids do a lot better too with skills workers. So maybe finding an in-home skills worker who can come in and do some in-home work or community work. I live in Minnesota and in Minnesota, they have skills workers for different groups of individuals. So that can be even more successful. Finding someone who understands psychiatric rehabilitation approaches, which is basically using like coaching, modeling, teaching, role-playing might be more helpful for these kids than like deep insight-based therapeutic approaches because their brains have a hard time like going inward. Tell me how you feel. Why did you do it? Their brains may have a really hard time with how and why questions. So that's why skills building can be more successful. And it's got to be done in a repetitious manner over a longer period of time, because depending on the child or teenager, depending on their history, childhood, and in utero, they may be dealing with lifelong deficits. So they're not going to be a short-term ball game. I hate to say for some kids, this could be a lifelong thing. And as these kids get older, they may need more assistance with money management, time management. If they're on medications, they may need help learning how to remember to take their meds. They may need a lot of assistance learning how to cook and clean and all of these things. But repetition is what shows to be most helpful. Finding someone who's kind, calm, and patient and curious and willing to learn. People that can fact check and verify, not just rely on the head nod. Okay, did you understand what we just talked about? And the teenager goes like this. Or, yeah, you bet. And they never check on that. That mass that can mask their deficits. And being aware of the cloak of competence too. You'll find that in the intellectual and developmental disability literature where, again, some people with special needs have that cloak of competence where they're really good about masking their deficits to other people and really taking an executive function and a metacognition approach and also looking at it through that person's emotional, social, cognitive, and developmental age rather than how old, they're on, how old they are on paper. Because let's say a therapist is working with someone who's 15 years old chronologically and they have FASD, more times than not, they may have a brain of a 10-year-old or a 7-year-old. It just depends. So 
those are a few basic things to consider. There's a lot more, but that's a good starting point in my opinion. I've never, well, I have two things. One, I've never heard of this cloak of confidence and that's very interesting. I don't know if that's a, a normal thing. I, mean, I guess that it's a normal thing that is talked about that I just am very unaware of. It's probably not talked about a lot, even in professional circles where I give trainings. A lot of people have never heard of that, but once they hear it and they understand it, oh, I see it all the time. It comes out of the intellectual and developmental disability literature. So if you Google the cloak of competence, good expressive language, again, being able to say a lot without maybe not saying much at all. And really fact-checking their receptive language, how they take in the language and make sense of it and actually use it. So for a therapist who's teaching a skill in the therapy office, the true test is, can that person take the skills they're learning and apply it in other settings? And if you're talking about people with neurodevelopmental disorders, that can be tricky without interventions, nudging, skills building, repetition from family members or skills workers, in my opinion. Hmm. I'm excited to look into that. Okay. And you've also talked about skills workers. I'm real curious because I don't know if this is just a Minnesota thing or if this is everywhere. Is this like through a Medicaid waiver program or do you go to like the IDD office like, how do you get yeah, yeah. a skills worker or do you look well, on? Well, I guess every state would be different. Check with your county, social services, check with community providers, check with your insurance company and call the 800 number on your insurance card and say, do you know of any providers in, in your area that focus on psychiatric rehabilitation? Case managers can be helpful independent living skills, personal care attendance. And again, every state's probably a little different in terms of what terms they use. Using terms like searching for an executive functioning coach might be helpful. But what I've learned is a lot of times, like if you're looking for a true executive functioning coach, they're probably going to be more self-pay. So insurance isn't going to pay for something like that. Check with your local school. Maybe they know some resources as well. What else do we need to know about metacognition? We've not well, I think when we think about metacognition deficits, if these things go unaddressed, it is pretty clear that it can lead to more problems in the area of psychological distress and social functioning. It can get in the way of that person maintaining a job as they get older. It can relate to potential increases in substance use. It's been studied within the context of mental health issues, criminality. By no means am I saying if someone has this, they're going to grow up and commit crimes, but there is several studies that look at this within the context of criminality. And if you look at this literature on a deep level, some of the possible signs and symptoms associated with metacognition problems is that child, teenager, or adult has a really hard time seeing the forest through the trees. They have this laser pinpoint focus. They have a hard time seeing other things around them. Maybe they get this laser pinpoint focus and stuff. So that's that's a red flag indicator. Long-standing pattern of really struggling to resolve conflict or make healthy decisions is a red flag indicator. For kids or school teachers, 
a big red flag indicator is if that person continues to turn in homework and they just make careless mistakes. They don't fact check their work. They're just very sloppy. They miss instructions. Those are potential red flag indicators. And we talked about too, for sometimes, in some cases, they have a really hard time reflecting on mistakes they've made and making corrections. So self-correction deficits and even error monitoring deficits is a topic you'd want to be aware of as well. And this can really trickle down into self-awareness and insight deficits and self-monitoring deficits, just to name a few. And you're going to find if you dig deep in the weeds in like the autism literature, FASD literature, it talks about teaching metacognition as a really helpful intervention for Mm -hmm. these kids. So it, it is supported in the research literature to to learn about this, teach the skills, making things visual, using step-by-step instructions, understanding scaffolding literature can be helpful, chunking things out, making things as concrete and as visual as possible. Maybe it's using checklist labeling machines, not just verbally and giving the instruction, but chunking it out step-by-step-by-step. Teaching time management, that's a complicated topic. People think it's probably simple, but time awareness and time capability deficits can be tricky for some individuals. Does that person truly know what an hour feels like, a day, a week? I hear this all the time when I do talks on screen time. The parent says to the child who has FASD, you have 20 minutes left on the screen. They come up in 20 minutes. The child just throws a complete temper tantrum. I was only on here for two minutes. They have no no concept that 20 minutes feels like 20 minutes. It may feel like two minutes to them. Making things visual, showing them, okay, here's here's a clock. When it hits this mark, this is 20 minutes. That's one small example of a potential intervention. And allow extra time for processing. Again, Don't overwhelm the child or teenager with a bunch of words and multi-step instructions. That can overwhelm the brain. So one thing at a time, keeping yourself regulated as the caregiver is highly recommended as well. So these are just a few things, but there's a lot more to it than this if you want me to go deeper into it. Well, can we just break down that? I mean, I feel like this probably happens in everybody's home every day if the child throwing a fit about the screens turning off. So in this example, would a way to help teach them what time feels like is to keep coming back and saying like, okay, now you have 10 minutes left. Okay. Now you have five minutes left. Is that helpful? Or is it more like we have this, I know that people listening cannot see Mm -hmm. this, but we have a monkey animal timer here and you know, you see how much time is left. Is this more helpful than me coming in and giving reminders? Try both. See what happens because every child's different. But whatever you do do, in my opinion, try to be consistent and try to make sure everyone in the household's consistent on that. Because if mom is saying one thing, dad is saying something else, maybe there's an older sibling saying something else that can be crazy making for anyone, especially for someone that has a neurodevelopmental disorder. And with the screen time, modeling good screen time behavior is so important as well among the parents. So if you want your child to do something with the screen, try to model that same behavior 
talk about it, but also show examples. Making it visual and concrete can be very, very helpful teaching any kind of skill. I have like 70 post-it notes right here. I should have gotten out a sheet of paper. I thought every time I'm like, I'll just listen and just take it all in. And I don't, I take so many notes. Um, okay. Was there anything else that you want to share today? Well, I think anytime that you can incorporate these strategies into the good work you're already doing, I think it can lead to better outcomes. Know that this stuff takes time to learn. But finding people that understand this can make a huge difference. I encourage folks just to go online and Google, read about it. There's lots of resources online and videos on YouTube. But I truly believe if parents, it doesn't matter who the child is, regardless of diagnosis or not, a metacognition-informed approach to parenting can be very, very helpful. And it may help reduce stress in that entire family system. Yeah. I'm kind of big on that, like about, cause I feel like doing the charts and doing the step-by-step, it just mm-hmm. sets those very clear expectations. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Um, Jared, thank you. You're I'm always welcome. so grateful for your wisdom and for all of your knowledge and for all the hard work you've done studying so that you can make it simple for us. I thank appreciate you. That. You're welcome. Thanks for having me back. Hey, I'm so glad that you joined us today. If this episode blessed you at all, would you mind leaving a review or sharing with others? This, as you know, will help other mamas find us and in turn will bless them. Hey, thanks so much for trusting us with your time today.